Good morning. Welcome to Worship in Central. It's really a pleasure to be here. As Dave said, this isn't quite the service we anticipated this was going to be. I was supposed to be here today uh, to do a service of baptism and thanksgiving for two different kids, and I was looking forward to that. And this was also going to be the day when I got down here to just celebrate with you the fact that four of your leadership team uh, were elected uh, last Sunday to be ordained to the eldership, and my plan was to, to get them up on stage here and pray with them and for them for the roles that they're, they're going to be undertaking. Um, that's Thomas Carrick and, and Dave and Linda Hetherington and Helen Warnock. Um, they're going to be ordained, uh, God willing, providing the current restrictions finish when they're supposed to finish uh, in the evening of the 13th of December. And we're looking forward to that up on the site on the Kern Money Road. But I, I can't do that this morning other than just to say that uh, the central continues to be really very much in my heart. And I'm thrilled about your leadership fact that they're going to be also having some uh, input into how things go up on the Carn Money Road side too. It's just such an exciting time. So it's good to be with you this morning. Good to have the opportunity to share with you in this series. And I'm going to read from God's Word now. And we're going to read from Luke chapter 14, breaking into the text at the 15th verse. This is God's Word. When one of those at the table with Jesus heard this, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And ending at verse 24, the Lord will bless his truth to our hearts for Christ's sake, we ask it. Amen. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, people used to invite one another out for a meal. Sometimes the meal would be in someone's home or in a place called a restaurant or maybe in an official building like a palace or a parliament. Because inviting others to share a meal with you is something as old as the human race itself. In fact, the root idea of the term companionship is to share bread together. And the reality is we discover in the New Testament text that Jesus enjoyed eating with others. In fact, one of the critical comments frequently repeated about him was, he dines with tax collectors and sinners. He loved to share meals with other people. And of course, he called his followers to remember him as they ate a meal together. So it's hardly that surprising that when he came to talk about the kingdom, he came to initiate 
uh, he came to talk about it in terms of a dinner table full of guests. It wasn't altogether a novel idea about the kingdom of God. Through the prophetic lens of the words of Isaiah, we see the kingdom of God like this. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. That's the dream of Isaiah in 25 verse 6. And it was probably this text which the guest in the Pharisee's home who was eating at a table with Jesus had in mind when he made that statement that began the scripture reading that we read together just a few moments ago. He said, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. The idea of the kingdom of God being like a feast goes way back into the prophetic ministry of the Old Testament. Now, when the guest in the Pharisee's home mentioned this to Jesus, the intervention may well have been a diversionary tactic to change the subject of a difficult conversation that was going on at the time. If you want to read back to the verses before, the verses that we read today, you'll see that there was a bit of a dispute going on at the tea table. And, and you may have done a diversionary thing like that yourself, you know, maybe at a meal with another group of people, changing the topic to say something like holiday plans to stop two guests from falling out over politics. And that's kind of exactly what was going on at the meal table at the time. And perhaps to divert the conversation and to change the subject, the guest in the Pharisee's home says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Never mind about all this dispute about food and about eating and about ritual and all the rest of it, how good it's going to be to eat the feast in the kingdom of God. Whether it was a diversionary tactic or not, there's one thing for sure. The dinner guest speaks here with a sense of entitlement. Because his view was that he obviously, as well as other notable and worthy people around him at the tea table that night, would be at that meal in the kingdom when it came. And it was in response to that sense of entitlement that Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet. It's a simple tale. Someone throws a banquet. In Matthew's version of the story, it's a wedding reception. And the person who throws the banquet invites a great many people to come. The invites went out. The replies came back. They were all positive. And then nearer the time, as would have been the way in that generation, nearer the time, he sends out a reminder. The feast is ready. You need to get yourself prepared and come along. And one by one, the invited guests make their excuses. Someone had bought property and needed to see it as if he wouldn't have seen it before he bought it. Someone else had bought a team of oxen to work his land and he needed to try them out as if he wouldn't have test driven the team before he spent his money on them. And the last one has, of course, the best excuse of all, I've just got married, my wife doesn't allow me to come. The guest list was a disaster. And so he makes a decision. None of the invited guests will get to enjoy the meal. 
And he sends his servants to the local town with specific instructions. As Eugene Peterson translates the instruction in the message, collect all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits and homeless and wretched you can lay your hands on and bring them here. But even after they do that, there is still room. So he sends the servants even further still to the country roads and whoever you find, drag them in. So what is Jesus teaching about the kingdom by this story? Two things about the nature of the kingdom are clear on the surface of the text. The first one is that the kingdom is about filling. As Eugene Peterson translates verse 23, the host of the meal says, I want my house full. We need to be constantly reminded of that. One of the consequences of the constant reiteration of the fact that Christians are engaged in a culture war is that we have the impression of the kingdom of God as smaller than the kingdom of the world. They have all the big battalions and we are just a few. And I need to say to you that that is not the scriptural view. The prophetic dream of Isaiah is so different. In chapter 11, verse 9, he says these words, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The kingdom is a place of fullness, fullness of life, fullness of spirit, fullness of joy. That verb keeps cropping up again and again and again in the New Testament as it talks about the reality of the kingdom of God. The way we have been worshiping God these past months could hardly be less appropriate as a picture of the kingdom. Ticketed venues so that we can space people out in buildings capable of holding, in our case, 10 times as many as we have in. I am now feeling good about numbers of worship at worship that I'd have been depressed about a year ago. I'm going home excited when we have 93 people in our building on the Carn Money Road. And yet it's so different in the world around us. My daughter works in town. She, ha- she works in a, in a shop in a retail environment uh, not very far from Victoria Square. And uh, she was working Saturday week ago and uh, at lunchtime, when she gets a break, she, she was going to slip out of the store to go and get uh, a sandwich and coffee. And she came out of the store, and, and she said, Dad, I looked around me, and she said, I went straight back into the store again. I didn't want to take the risk. She said, the street outside the store was like a crowd going to a football match. Scripture talks about the kingdom as a multitude that no one could count. It seems like the world has all the big battalions and we are so few. The reality is that the kingdom of God is a reality that is full. That is the master's dream. When is the kingdom finally here? Paul says to the Philippians, when all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ, 
and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. The kingdom is about filling because the kingdom is full. It's a vision about fullness. We are not a small rump of people with little influence. We are part of the full kingdom of God. The full kingdom that one day will bring every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that Jesus is who he said he was. The kingdom is about filling. But secondly, the kingdom is also about bringing. How is that going to happen, this full house at the festival, at the feast, which the host has called. How is this filling going to happen when the invitation is being refused? Well, it won't be enough to wait till people turn up on spec. You know, the rumor might get out, somebody's throwing a feast, nobody's turned up. Hey, there's food going for free. And people start by word of mouth to spread it around and, and, and people show up. It doesn't really work that way. I discovered yesterday at home that, that I had a, a chicken, a, one of those lovely barbecue chickens from Marks and Spencer's, which was on the last day of the date, and I couldn't eat it. And I didn't really want to put it in the bin, so what was I going to do? Well, I put a message up on our family WhatsApp to say, hey, anybody interested in a chicken? And Dave and Joy were in first, so they got it. But I had to put the message out there that it was available. There was food going for free. Does anybody want it? And when the dinner was going to be so sparsely attended, you know, maybe the word would have leaked out and people would have come, but that wasn't the strategy that the host of the dinner employed. Go out quickly, he says to his servants, and bring them in. In fact, he goes on, if you have to, compel them to come in. And we feed a lot of people through our congregations. You've just heard an appeal earlier on for Pringles. After the debacle with Pringles last Christmas up on the Carnmoney Road site in our food bank for Christmas hampers, I never wanted to see Pringles again, quite frankly, as long as I lived. The thought of having to bring in over 400 of them here is just mesmerizing, but you know, that will go out to feed hungry people. And it's the same for us through our Trussell Trust. You're working with Storehouse, we're working up on the Carn Money Road site uh, with, through our Trussell Trust food bank. And, and this year, at one stage during the course of lockdown, our food bank was operating at three and a half times its normal capacity in terms of the amount of food that was going out through the door. And that's incredible. And it's amazing that we get the opportunity to do that, that we have food that we can offer to the hungry. But shouldn't we be equally concerned to feed people the bread of life? Isn't there another meal which is freely available that we need to get people to? The point is, however, you can really only give people food when they are hungry. One of the reasons we have a food bank up on the Carn Money Road site is because before we had a food bank, we had a cap ministry. And the person who was the manager of that ministry was going out to homes of people who needed help with debt. And he was discovering literally 
that he would enter a house and the kitchen cupboards were bare. There was no food in the house. And we were discovering that there were people in the midst of the world in which we live for whom that was an actual reality. We started a food bank to deal with that issue because out there, there are people who are hungry and if people are hungry, you can feed them. There's a problem with a banquet, however, if you're not hungry. Or alternatively, there's a problem with a banquet if you suffer from food anxiety like me. So someone might ask me out to a meal, but I'll be worrying to myself what's going to be on the table. I'm a really plain eater, okay? I struggle with anything that doesn't come from the geographical location in which I've grown up. And so my children's love of Chinese and Indian and Thai and all sorts of other completely obscure forms of, of, of food is a real worry for me. And in fact, it's generally speaking come to be an issue in life. When I was first ordained, you know, and was doing weddings and often got an invitation to wedding receptions, you could predict what was going to be on the table. It would be soup followed by turkey and ham followed by pavlova. I could eat all those things. It was really brilliant. The only thing I might have had to push to the side of the plate was the stuffing in the turkey. You know, when Christine did stuffing, she never cooked it in the bird. She cooked it separately. It was dry and it was crisp and it was glorious. So I could push this other kind of stuffing to the side of the plate and eat basically everything else. Now I go to a wedding reception. I don't even know the names of the things that are on the menu, never mind the actual stuff when it arrives on the plate in front of you. And I have got serious food anxiety when I go, so I don't really go anymore. Of course, if I hadn't had a square meal for weeks, it might not matter to me that I didn't recognize what was on the plate. I might be just glad to eat absolutely anything. And that's who the host sent his servants out to find. Go and find the hungry and get them here. We have to get the invitation to the people who are ready to respond. Loads of people have had the opportunity to hear the invitation. They have made vaguely positive responses, but when pushes come to shove, they haven't turned up for the meal. The reality is that the kingdom is not just a filling kind of thing. It is also a bringing kind of thing. It is about bringing people along. It is about bringing people in the earshot of the invitation. It is about feeding people who are hungry. Last Sunday, I got a message from someone who responded to the invitation given at the end of our worship service. She's been brought along to church for a period of time now by her boyfriend. In the message that she sent me, she testified to a tough life which left her with a deep sense of unworthiness in the presence of God, the God she was desperate to come to know. She wrote in the message, please ask the Lord to break down the barriers between myself and the Holy Spirit so I can lead my life for him alone and do his will as he would want. Because someone brought her, 
She was in a place to hear an invitation to a meal she was desperate to eat. How many others would come to the feast if we brought them to the place of invitation? Because the kingdom is a bringing thing. It's just not a crazy time to be highlighting that message. When, when I'm in a building here and I'm looking down at you through a camera lens, but behind that camera lens, I'm looking at just five other people. And I'm talking about getting invitations to the hungry to bring them to a place where they can be fed. Is that not the craziest thing to do? No. And at this moment, perhaps I can begin to make some sense out of the madness in which we are currently living. Because our absence from each other this morning has put this message on YouTube. Every single day on YouTube, almost five billion videos are watched. And all of a sudden, this gathering that we have and this invitation that we extend it's no longer just extended to the hundred or so people who might normally be in this building, but to the potential of all those billions of people who could come across it on YouTube. Sounds like we might have found the equivalent to the servants on the city streets and the country roads. My younger daughter showed me a Facebook post the other day from a friend of hers whom she knows through work. They don't work in the same place, but they have interests in the same sorts of things, and so they had got to know one another on Facebook. And over the summer months, my daughter shared with this particular individual our live stream on the Carnmoney Road site. And the reason why she was showing me the Facebook post a couple of weeks ago was because this person with whom she had shared our live stream and who had no previous connection with the church of any kind nor no apparent interest in the things the church is meant to be about and that the kingdom is for, was saying in her Facebook post how faith was getting her through the difficult situation we find ourselves in. The kingdom is a bringing thing. First of all, it's a filling thing because there is a fullness about it. The Lord has built a house and he intends to have the house full. He has set a table and he intends every place to be taken. We are not part of some small, unimportant, sectarian corner of the world. We are part of the kingdom that cannot be numbered. But that kingdom is a bringing thing. The word isn't just meant to kind of eke out, hopefully, that other people get a sound of the fact that somehow or another there's food for the hungry. It's a bringing thing. It's about us bringing people to the place of invitation that they might hear that there is food for their soul. So tell me this. Who have you shared this church's worship stream with in the last three months? Who have you given an opportunity to to hear the invitation? Who are you going to bring?